0: The Bible gives us many warnings about not growing weary as we live for the Lord. Let me stay right off that weariness here is not talking primarily about physical weariness. It's primarily talking about mental and emotional weariness. When somebody says, I can't take this anymore, it's usually a mental-slash-emotional thing. Let me just be clear. Mental is in the thoughts you think. Emotional is in what you're feeling. And the two are always connected. But when somebody is ready to give up, when somebody, as the passage says, grows weary, I'm tired of this, people say, I've, I've had all of this marriage I can take. People unfortunately say I have I've had all of these kids that I can take, and I guess in one context that can be funny, but I tell you the more and more you see things in in the news and horrible things that people do to their own children, it's really not funny. I've had all of my kids I can take. We're not talking about usually something physical. Physical things we find a way to overcome and endure. But it's those mental things and those emotional things. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of the pressure. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have this conversation in a completely different context because you're never going to find resolution until you come to know the Lord. But I'm talking to Christians this morning primarily. You're saved. You know the Lord. You read your Bible. You you love your Bible. You pray. You attempt to walk in the Spirit. You, you make an effort to please the Lord. You're engaged in the Lord's service to some capacity. And just the stress of life, the pressure of life, can bring you to the place in your life service of the Lord in your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it can bring you to the place where you say, I I can't take this anymore. And we're talking mental pressure and emotional pressure, what's going through your head constantly and what you're feeling. The Bible warns us about it about growing weary a number of times. And the Bible gives us a number of examples. Do you know there came a point when the great leader Moses said, Lord, I can't take these people anymore. I'm done. I'm not going any further. You know, there's a time, and I we, we talked about this as we sang in the opening, when David said, I almost gave up. I had fainted unless. He said, except I... Believe to see the goodness of the Lord, I would have cashed it in. One of the most notorious moments, maybe the notorious moment in Elijah's life was after his greatest victory. We think of Elijah, we think of him on the mountaintop with fire coming down out of heaven. He stood alone. But the very next chapter, is one of the low points, I guess the low point in Elijah's life, where he goes to Mount Sinai. Do your homework. You'll find he goes to Mount Sinai, which is a long ways away. He goes up in Mount Sinai, and he finds a cave there, and he goes in the cave. I would say if, you're, if you've been saved for 20 years or more, you've spent some time in the cave, in that cave, and in that cave, Elijah pouted. He said, "Lord, here I've been standing for you, and I'm the only one left." And by the time the Lord fixed it all, he said, "Oh, and by the way, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 other followers of me in, in Israel." But he's in the cave. And do you know how bad, I won't take the time to do it, but I've done it before just so you can see. It says he took his mantle and wrapped it around his head. Can you picture that? Can you picture me taking my coat off, wrapping it around my head? And do you know when he did that? That famous verse that we all love when God said that, that uh, uh, he's not in the whirlwind, he's not on the earthquake, he's in the still small voice. And when God came to Elijah in a still small voice, he was basically like a spoiled little kid going, Ah, I can't hear you. Can't hear you, God. That's weird. You should do that sometime while you're preaching. That's weird. He's pouting. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, courageously stood as a voice to God's people. But you know, there came a place, if you read in the book of Jeremiah, where he said, you know what, I've had it with this. I've had it with being the lone voice. He said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a bed and breakfast. And I'm going to just be a servant to people as they're traveling through. And finally, he says, you know what, I can't quit. I've got a fire in my bones, the word of God, I've got to preach. But he got weary. John the Baptist. There came a point, John the Baptist, after he had courageously and boldly said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He got arrested. He was put in prison. And his followers would come and visit him and say, "Uh, is there anything, anything we can do for you? And there came a day where he said, you know what you could do? You could go find Jesus And just make sure that he really is the Messiah. John the Baptist. I'm saying the Bible gives us many warnings and it also gives us many examples of people who grew weary in well-doing. It's a disappointing thing to watch a fellow believer drift from the Lord. You know that they're hurting themselves when they turn away from the Lord. And by the way, we're not talking about losing their salvation. I suppose in some folks, maybe it may be that they never were saved, but the Bible's clear. You can't lose your salvation. But you can, as a believer, drift from the Lord. You can turn away from the Lord. If you're truly saved, if you really are a child of God, he'll keep coming after you. He won't let you alone. But you see somebody turn away from the Lord, you know they're hurting themselves. They're disconnecting from their spiritual resources. Hey, we need each other. I need you. You need the people around you. We need each other. And when you pull away from from going to church, and by the way, going to church, church attendance is a very good barometer of your spiritual health. It's not just one of the ingredients of being a healthy Christian. It's a strong indicator of how you're doing spiritually so when you pull away from church, you're disconnecting from your spiritual resources. When somebody that you love pulls away from the Lord, they're destroying their spiritual influence. Hey, how can you look at anybody else and say, hey, stay close to the Lord when they know you're not? So you've killed your influence. You're jeopardizing your children's future. When someone is turning away from the Lord, they're forsaking their God given purpose. They're forfeiting spiritual blessings and they're losing eternal rewards. It's, it's a heartbreak. And by the way, I'm not saying this because we're going through this right now. Pastor, you sound like you're addressing something. I'm not. But if you're going to be saved and live for the Lord over the course of a lifetime, you're going to see people who drift from the Lord, who turn away from the Lord. And I praise the Lord that my close friends in my lifetime have stayed close to the Lord, but I've had a few friends that have drifted. It was over 25 years ago, a very dear friend of mine left his wife and, um, moved to the west coast just sort of disappeared unannounced and a friend of mine and myself we uh got plane tickets that's before travelocity and all that stuff we got plane tickets you know he had to go to travel agent and so we went to a travel agent got some tickets and uh we flew out there we tracked him down and we were not successful at persuading him to go back to his wife and go back to his life serving the lord but It's happened a few times, unfortunately. When I see someone drift from the Lord, first thing I do is I pray for them. And then, in an appropriate way, I reach out to them. But a third thing that I always do when I see someone drift from the Lord, I'm talking about walk away from their life living for God. I confirm my own commitment that by the grace of God, I will never turn away. Now, listen, I never make that announcement. I guess it sounds like I'm making that announcement. Bless God, I'll never turn my back on the, Ooh, that's pride. You better be careful. Let him that thinketh he stand to take heed lest he fall. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But I do resolve in my own heart, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to do that to my wife. I don't ever want to do that to my children. I don't ever want to do that to my friends. I don't ever want to do that to my fellow believers. I confirm my own commitment not to drift from the Lord. If you've ever looked at someone else who has quit on the Lord and said, I don't ever want that to be me, I'm going to show you a few things that can help prevent that. Now, what we're talking about this morning is being spiritually healthy to prevent growing weary. All right? We're not talking about when you get there, how to keep from jumping. So we're not talking about me talking you off the bridge or off the ledge right now. We're talking about you staying strong enough that you don't ever get to the ledge. You don't ever get to the bridge. That makes sense? First, I want to say this. It's very important. Don't miss this. Every mental or emotional struggle is really a spiritual struggle. I wish I had an entire message this morning, a time time just to go into that. What does that mean, all right? Mental is the thoughts in your head. Emotional is the feelings in your heart. Spiritual is your interaction with God. So what did I just say? when I said every mental or emotional struggle is really a spiritual struggle. it's The point is that you do not cure mental struggles without first going to God. You do not fix emotional struggles without first going to God. Your mental and emotional struggles are rooted in your relationship with God. Now, don't don't misunderstand. That doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship with God is broken. But it does mean that that's where the solution or the remedy lies. So, if you're discouraged, if you're messing with depression... If you go through a time of hopelessness, that doesn't necessarily mean that something is broken in your relationship with God, that that you've neglected something, that you're distant from Him. But what it does mean, and I believe this with all of my heart, it does mean that the remedy lies first and foremost in you getting as close to God and as passionately close to God as you've ever been in your life. That doesn't mean, now hear me clearly, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. That does not mean that there may not be a a need to visit the doctor. I am not one that says, oh, you don't need no stinking pill. Now, do I believe we over-medicate? I think anybody who's paying attention believes that as Americans we over-medicate. But I do not believe, I'm not one who says, "Oh, just forget those pills and you know read three more chapters in your Bible." That's not what I'm saying at all, and I do not believe that. But I believe if you prayerfully come to the decision that, you know what, I, I need to go I need to go talk to my doctor about maybe getting referred to a psychiatrist. I'm really having some extreme issues. I believe before you do that. You need to get with God as passionately and as sincerely and as wholeheartedly as you have ever been before. If you're going to go to a psychiatrist, go there as a spirit-filled Christian. If you're going to take, if you're going to have somebody give a, a, a subscription. I always get prescription and subscription mixed up. It's just like Vermont, New Hampshire. I can't keep them straight. But but the, the piece of paper that tells you to take some pills, if, if, prescription, all right? And you get a subscription to Reader's Digest. All right. If you're going to, and now I forgot. If you're going to take some pills, if you're going to take a prescription, I beg you to do it as a Christian who is as close to God as you have ever been before. Don't go into a place of possible dependence upon pills in a backslidden condition. (laughs) By the way, If you're going through this right now, I did not hear about it, okay? Oh, Pastor heard about my doctor. No, I did. I promise you before God, I don't know any details of anybody's situation. But I know this is a real thing I'm talking about. I'm not saying you may not need some assistance in some other area. I'm not an expert in that. I'm not going to pretend to be. But I will tell you it is oh mental and emotional issues always are spiritual issues and you better begin fixing it with God. So, we're talking about we're not um, we're not talking you off the cliff this morning. Hopefully nobody's on the cliff, nobody's on the bridge, nobody's on the the uh, ledge. We're not talking about talking you off the ledge this morning. What we're talking about this morning is how to be spiritually healthy enough and that means mentally and emotionally healthy enough to never make it to the bridge. And I want to give you, and I didn't make these up. Here, I'll tell you exactly what I did. I took that admonition, don't be weary, don't, be, don't, don't faint, and I looked for it throughout the New Testament, and I found four issues, four, four, not issues, four remedies, where God said instead of fainting, Do this. So let me share them with you quickly, and it'll go fast. The first spiritual remedy for fainting is constant communication with God. Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, I believe if you look at the context there, what it's saying is not to faint in prayer, not to give up in prayer. But I believe it's absolutely, if you look at times when Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, and other statements like that throughout the, uh, the, the New Testament, it is by no means a faulty application to say that when Jesus said men are always to pray and not to faint, that he's telling us if we will stay in constant communication with God, that we're going to, we're going to stay off the, off the ledge. We're going to stay away from that place where we just feel despondent. We grow weary. Okay? Can I tell you something? Listen carefully to this, and then I'll move quickly on to the second point. But listen, do you know one of our biggest failures in prayer, one of the biggest mistakes we make in prayer, is that we think that in order to pray, We've got to get into official prayer mode. I've got to, you know, uh, look, I'm all for the war room. I'm all for the place of prayer. I'm all for the fleece. I've got one in my office. I use it often. I'm all for the, I preach. I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for a prayer list. I have one. It's very long. It's in a binder. But here's the mistake we make when it comes to prayer, that we think the only time we're going to pray is when we get into official prayer mode, prayer place, prayer list. And because that is so demanding, if we miss it, then we're embarrassed to talk to God at all that day. Oh, I can't talk to God while I'm driving because I didn't, I didn't go into you know full prayer mode this morning. Now, let me say this. Maybe you want to chop up your prayer list so that you at least, at least ask God to work in you today and at least pray for your family today and at least pray for the main players in your life first thing in the morning. So I'm saying, this is sort of a side note, but you've got got 500 names on your prayer list, let's say. But there's a top 20 that you've got to hit. All right, would you at least hit your top 20 first thing? But that's more of a side note. What What I'm really saying is, when God says pray without ceasing, he wants us to be in communication mode all day long. And that's why sin is so deadly. And that's why distractions are so deadly. You can, you, you can get wrapped up in good things and when, when you're done, not feel like praying. And I, I mean not being in communication with God. You are in a dangerous place if you're not in communication mode with God. I think if you have a healthy communication with God, people around you may occasionally accuse you of talking to yourself. That's what I I do. That's what I picture. There came a place in my life where I realized if I walked in a room and said, And nobody's there but me. Man, it's hot in here. We got to turn on this air conditioner. There's nobody hearing me but me. So why not say that to God? I say this respectfully. I complain to God. I don't do it in group prayer meeting. It's just me and God. I complain to him. I say this respectfully. I make jokes to God. No, I don't mean, Lord, you hear the one about that? I don't mean that. (laughs) I mean, when I think something is funny, I point it out to the Lord. I want those lines to be open all the time. My wife. She left Thursday night to go to speak in Alabama. She was there Friday. She was there yesterday. I picked her up at 11.45 last night. By the way, God is so good. God bless you Met fans. Um, she flew into LaGuardia, and the Mets, Mets were going into extra innings. David Wright, his last game at, at City Field, big event, uh, last game at City Field last night. And so I'm going – and so – but they're going into extra innings. She's coming at 11.45. Usually the game should have been over like 10 o'clock. But now they're into the 13th inning. I'm going past City Field, and the upper deck is still full because it's David Wright's last game. And he's, he's already out of the game, but he's supposed to speak at the end of the game. And the only reason I – this is more than I know about the Mets in the last 20 years, but I had heard it on sports radio, and I knew I was going to LaGuardia, and – um I'm going by, and I turn on the radio to, to see what's going on. Because bec- If you don't know the geography, if you're coming out of LaGuardia and there's a Mets game getting out, you're going to be there for about an hour at least. And uh, so I'm pulling into LaGuardia, and I turn it on, and the Mets had just scored the winning run, and I'm like, oh, no. So I pull up to get my wife. I said, like, get in quick. We got we to beat the Mets crowd. <laughs> we get back out on the highway. And they had a fireworks show. I was like, praise the Lord. They had fireworks and David Wright had to make a speech. And so we were we were getting onto the White Stone Bridge before they actually dismissed. And so we were okay there. And why did I bring that up? I don't know. Oh, oh, I know why. Because I was telling you this, and this is a very important illustration. I'll fly for the rest of these points, but this is this is good to me, I think. Do you know there were several hours between Thursday night? And last night, two, maybe three different times where I called Amy or she called me and we were doing other stuff, but we just, we hung out over the phone. We just, we wanted to be together. We couldn't be together physically, but we could, we could talk and she's doing something. I'm doing something. And we think of something just like if we were together. Why? Because I love her. She loves me. We want to be together. We can't be together physically, but we have the lines open. That's the way it ought to be with you and God all the time. That's part of what praying without ceasing means. The lines need to be open all the time. Don't talk to yourself. Talk to God. Interact with God all the time. So a constant communication with God. As opposed to flipping the God switch on, then, then flipping it off. And the rest of the day, it's just, you know, just you and and your music and your people. And the God switch ought to be on all the time. Second, and I'll, I won't take as long with the last three as I did with the first one. But 2 Corinthians 4, we read 2 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might, might uh, uh, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Did, did you hear that? Paul's saying... Every, I want everything that I do to result in God being glorified. Did you catch that? Now listen. For which cause we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Okay. He said, I don't faint. By the way, every one of these passages, these four examples, has the word faint in it, not fainting. Paul said, the reason that I don't quit on God is because I anticipate and fully expect that everything will result in God's glory. But can I make an observation? Most Christians don't care, don't truly care whether God is glorified. It's nice if it happens, but it's not what we're living for. It's not what drives us. So if you want to not quit based on the fact that, oh, this is so hard, but I know God's going to be glorified, if that's going to keep you from quitting, then you've got to genuinely participate in the glory of God. What do I mean? I mean, you've got to worship him. It's got to be more than just turning a songbook and singing a song. It's got to be more than just the choir singing a song. It's got to be more than just Brother Freddy over here playing the piano and singing. It's got to be genuine participation in worshiping the Lord. But by the way, what about in private? When was the last time you sang to the Lord in private? You lifted up your soul to the Lord. Genuine participation in God's glory. When you... Meditate on the fact that the greatest thing and the, really the only thing that matters in this universe is that God be exalted. When you genuinely participate in God's glory and then you realize, man, this struggle that I've been going through for the last three years, I know this is going to result in God being glorified. Well, then you won't quit. Well, let me tell you, most Christians have little to no investment in God's glory. It's all about us. It's all about us. We need a genuine participation in God's glory. Now, can I say, I'm just being honest with you, I think probably that went over most of our heads. But it was worth it for the one or two or three people that it helped. If you will genuinely participate in glorifying God with all your heart, you pass out a track because you, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I believe it'll bring you glory. Before you knock on a door, before you teach your Sunday school lesson, before you sing a song, you you say, Lord, I just want you to be glorified. I'm paying this price. I'm making this effort because I want you to be glorified. You're participating in God's gl- glory, and now God's glory is going to matter. All right. I said it wasn't going to take as long. I lied. Let's 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 fly. I really, I have something at the end that I, I've i got to read to you. So let me just give you the, the last two. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it said that, that we keep our eyes on Jesus, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, a close connection to your example. You've got to stay close to Christ. You've got to identify with Christ. You've got to identify with the cross. You've got to look at the cross where your sin was crucified and every day realign yourself with the cross and the crucified Savior. And if you want to put it into words, it's not put into words anywhere better than it is in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I just testify? Way back in January or February, I think it was, I asked the Lord to teach me what that verse means. And it's been a long, difficult schooling but I understand that verse so much better right now than I did eight months ago. Praise the Lord for that. But if you want to keep from, listen at this very moment, I know I I said earlier in the message, I don't make these declarations, but I'll say at this very moment, I would consider it an absolute possibility at this moment to turn my back on God. Now I may get stupid and do it next week, but at this very moment, The furthest thing possible would be for me to turn my back. I'm afraid to say that because it feels like the kind of statement I'm going to get tested on. But I could not imagine close connection to your example. Number four, complete trust in God's outcome, and that's Galatians 6, 8, and 9. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap, of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Okay, so in verse 8, he just promised that if you, if you sow bad seed, you'll reap bad things. If you sow spiritual seed, you'll reap spiritual things. And if you believe God that that's true, then you won't give up if you know you have sown spiritual things you won't give up because you know God always brings to pass he always keeps his word so complete trust in God's outcome Uh, it wouldn't be a bad thing for you to study because this is not just some little thing I made up this is this these are four resources from God's words I'm going to read it again give you the passage and I'm going to read you something that was very special to me and I hope you'll listen and I'm going to try to get this into print for you um Four spiritual remedies for giving up or for quitting on God. Number one, constant communication with God, Luke 18, 1. Number two, genuine participation in God's glory, 2 Corinthians 4, 15 and 16. Number three, close connection to your example, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Number four, complete trust in God's outcome, Galatians 6, 8 and 9. All right, so this is from the Quad State Sunday School Conference, which was about three weeks ago. And one of my heroes and mentors, Pastor John Morgan, was the special speaker that day. Pastor Morgan started a church in Brooklyn when everyone said it can't be done. He started a church, he held services in a high rise apartment where he lived. That's the only place they could get to meet. This is thirty years ago. Over thirty, four is forty years ago now. They outgrew that one apartment, so he rented another apartment next door. And eventually they got their own building, and then they got a bigger building, and then they got a second campus on Long Island. They started a college, Christian school, and when he uh, retired because of his health, the property from from a little apartment in a high-rise, the property was valued at something like – 40 or $50 million, and they averaged well over a 1,000 people in attendance from a little apartment. He spoke to us at the Quad State on the subject of staying power, and I simply want to read to you eight statements. I want to get these posted, just like we have that quote out there. I want to get these on the wall for you to see. Staying power. The essence of staying power is integrity. You need to be the real thing. In any worthwhile quest, you'll encounter a quit-now moment. When life kicks you, let it kick you forward. A life of quitting early will leave you with an inventory of unfinished business. Whenever you start out to do something for God, you will have opposition. Get this. I love this statement. Battles are won during times that don't feel like victories. (coughs) In the endurance of the struggle, it is the vision of the payoff that tips the scales. And we tend to overestimate our own strength and underestimate God's strength. I say to you, live healthy so that you don't ever get to that place where you're ready to faint. And if you do live in a spiritually healthy way, as I gave you some uh, examples from the scriptures here, you will have the strength you need when you grow weary, when you grow faint, when you're tempted to quit. You'll have the strength you need to stay close to the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray that you'd help us to stay close to you. I pray, Lord, that there is someone here that that feels like, man, I'm just, I'm at my-